welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. How many would join me in putting their phone in a known box this next week? We're going to have these known boxes available at all of our campuses. Yours won't be pre-made, but it's easy to assemble. It doesn't come with free dessert like Chick-fil-A. But it actually might cause you to have a new relationship, to deepen a relationship, to be known to actually stop looking down and look up at the wonderful people all around you. So I'm asking, and I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm speaking to you. How many will do this this at least once this week and every week through the series? You'll do a dinner. You'll put the phone in there and you'll lock them away and you'll actually talk to everyone. Raise your hand. If you're going to be held accountable, you're going to do that. All right. Come on, you millennials. Raise your hand. All right. They're like, I'm connected to this baby. You know, I got to have it. Come on, we've got to do this. We've got to be able to say, I will be known. I will know you. I'll share what's going on in my life. We will connect with one another. It's so sad. I mean, I see it. I'm preaching to myself on this one because just this last weekend, we had the young pastors preaching at all of our campuses. And uh, Connor, our oldest son, was able to preach uh, at the Apple Valley campus on Saturday night. So we invited all the relatives. You got to come here, Connor. And they're all at our house after Connor preached. And by the way, he did a great job. And all of our young pastors did such a great job at all the campuses. Love that. So much fun. 
And, and we're sitting there, we got all the family there. They've driven in from out of town and, and we're all there. And, and I noticed we were all on our phones. We were all texting or surfing the web or doing whatever, checking Instagram. And we're all in the same room. We're next to each other, but we're not with each other. And for just a moment, I was convicted. And then I looked around and I said, nah. <laughs> but I'm telling you today, I'm convicted. I'm telling you today that we've got to change things. We've got to do something different. And this series known is coming at the exact right time, just for our church, for society. There's something going on. We're going to look at it. it's bigger than just our church. But if I could say this, I feel like I'm pastoring the church this weekend. Yes, there's a sermon. Yes, there's lots of scriptures. But I feel like I'm, I'm pastoring you in this moment even more than a sermon. I'm trying to help us to grow. I'm helping us to identify a problem that's here and to overcome this and to move forward because we're just guilty of this. I remember not that long ago, I was at an event and um, John Gray was there. And, and I said to my boys, I said, oh, it's real John Gray. That's his Twitter handle. I mean, his name is John Gray. And I said, real John Gray. And they're like, dad, you're losing it. I, I, I want to know people. I want us to share with one another. There's something going on and we've got to change it. And this was birthed out of a, a breakfast that I had with Dick Foth. Now, Dick Foth wrote the book, Known. He's going to be with us next week and you're going to want to be here and be able to hear this man's wisdom. I can't even go into his resume of what he's done in life and who he is. He's probably the best storyteller I know. And uh, I, was, I was in Colorado and uh, I had a free breakfast. And so if, if you know me, I do not like to eat alone. Of all the things, I mean, I don't like to waste a meal. I like to always have a meal with somebody and, and, and take advantage of that time. But I don't like eating alone. I was going to be alone for breakfast and then meet up with some people. So I, I got a hold of him and he said, yes, I can meet you for breakfast. And I was like, that's great because I hate being alone. I really want to meet with you. And, and by the way, I think restaurants should have like alone sections and together tables. How many know what I'm talking about? Like if you go in and you're by yourself there should be like a designated together table and then you go, maybe Chick-fil-A will do that. You know, together tables, leave me alone tables. Yeah, all right. But anyway, so I'm there with him and he starts talking and I said, what have you been up to? He said, I wrote this book, No. And I said, what's it about? He said, it's about this generation. I feel so sad for them. So I wrote a book about it because they're so close to each other, yet they're so far. They have so much information. They're overwhelmed. They, they don't know how to make friends. They don't know how to be friends. They need deeper friends in such a shallow world. And right then I wanted a copy of the book and he gave me a copy and I was like, that needs to be our fall series. As our church comes back from the, the cabins and from the vacations and we start getting back together as we launch our life groups, I was like, I want that to be our fall series in September where we come back together because I feel that we are, are, are so close and yet so disconnected. We're right there by each other and, and the, the video and the intro, that's like a lot of our families. We're there at the same table and we're eating together, but we're not paying attention. And I said, this has, has to be the series. This has to be where we go because there's such a problem right now today. People don't know how to make friends. They don't know how to tell their story. They don't know how to, to have those interactive moments. And it's a problem that the Bible does address. The Bible tells us that it's good for a man not to be alone. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
I mean, God was saying right away, God, God was saying it's not good for the man to be alone. He needs to be together. There's something within us that desires to be together. Ecclesiastes, again, all throughout the Bible, you'll see it. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you'll see uh, Genesis, you'll see different examples of friendships with David and Jonathan, different things. But Ecclesiastes is not a, a wedding verse, although it applies for that too. But Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We see friendship together, be there for each other, pick each other up, be there for one another. We see that God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's community within God. There's not aloneness, okay? The Bible is clear that having friends, having true friends can help you to become a better person. I love this scripture and seated on t-shirts, iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I pray that you have good friends that can sharpen you. But this digital age that we're living in and and trust me, I love my phone. I enjoy having a smartphone. I love having my Bible accessible. I love having the ability to search the web. I love the ability of staying connected to friends and all the different things and the apps that help me find gas stations and, and Krispy Kreme donuts with the hot light on. You know what I'm saying? Smartphone is a great invention, all right? But we're, we're, we're missing it. We've taken something good and we're allowing it to destroy us. We're allowing it to destroy us. And so I'm not saying get rid of the phones, but I'm saying put them in the known box. Maybe we need to go on digital fasts more often and just say, today's a digital fast day. I, I'm gonna step away from this. I'm gonna look at people more. I mean, you weren't meant to know more about the Kardashians than you were about the congregation you're part of. You should know more about the people around you than those people. And the, and the Kardashians need to share a lot less and the people in the church need to talk a lot more, okay? We're more connected than ever before, but we're not close to one another. And because of social media, we know where you've been. We know what you had for dinner. We know what type of latte you like, but we don't know your dreams. We don't know your story. We don't really even know where you're from. So we need to share with one another. We get past this digital divide that's building. And the other thing is we're looking down way too much. We're looking down all the time and it's like, look up, look up, stop looking down. And it used to be like, don't look down, was like for a horror movie, you know, like you're trying to escape from the bad thing. And there's like a big fall that you got to go over and there's a bridge and it's like, you're walking across, don't look down, look at me. Like now you're like, don't look down, look at me. I'm here physically in your presence. I'm right here, don't look down. Again, so guilty. The other night, Beck and I were out to dinner, beautiful summer night here in Minnesota, end of the summer, September, beautiful. I mean, we're there uh, out, eating outside. There's a little fire pit right there. We're looking out at the woods, the golf course, the lake, and it's beautiful. I've got my beautiful wife with me. And I'm like, and she's like, hello. And I said, I am giving a shout out to Starkey right now because they took care of my mom with hearing aids and you can wait. And then I looked at her, I was like, I'll be with you in a minute, real quick. You know? And I was like, oh boy. And I could just see, she's like, look at me, look at me. And I was like, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I was looking down. We're just looking down all the time. And there's, there's something that's very real. There's a face down hurt that is very real to the people we love. 
They look up. They look up to see if we're looking at them and we're looking down. And there's a face down hurt that goes deep into the people we love, deep into the people we're supposed to be doing life with. And it's time for us to fix that. It's time for us to say, it's time for us to be known. It's time for us to know one another. And it's time for us to just lift out of what's going on, not just in America, but around the world. When I was in Kenya and we were dedicating one of the churches that we built through Kingdom Builders, and as we're there, the mayor is at the church and all of a sudden the phone rings and the mayor goes, hello. I mean, we're all there. There's hundreds of people. And she, the mayor was giving the speech at the podium. Like, yeah, hey, I'll text you. Okay, get back to you soon. And I was like, we're here. How is that more important than this? So it's happening around the world. And in a great article, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? Gene M. Twenge uncovers some startling discoveries. These are, these are things that are Mostly very disturbing. Some are good news, but most of it is very disturbing. She talks about in 2007, the iPhone was invented. 2012 was a very big year because in 2012, that's when 50% of America had a smartphone. And from that day forward, it went up and up and up. Over 50% of us at that point in 2012 owned a smartphone. And she said she's been tracking this, the level of happiness, the level of depression, the activities of teenagers and what's going on in this world. And she said, it's very, very sad. She calls this generation, the iGen, born after 1995, that they were raised with technology and smartphones. Not just phones, but with smartphones. They're more depressed. They're more prone to suicide. They're more lonely. They spend more time in their rooms than other generations. They want to be in their room and they don't want to spend time with their mom and dad. They're not spending any more time with mom and dad. They're just spending time in their room and they're texting their friends and they're keeping track of social media and they're doing Snapchat and they're doing Instagram and they're doing Facebook and they're being digitally connected but so far away from real friendship. She said they're safer now than they've ever been but that's only because they're not going out as much. A high school senior right now is going out less than an eighth grader did in 2009. That's not talking about like when I was a kid, you know, in the 70s. That's talking just a few years ago. Eighth graders going out more than 12th graders. They're saying that they go to the mall with their families. You know what? When I grew up, we went to the mall to get away from our family. You know, like be back at... Midnight, is that good enough? I mean, you know, get away. They're not dating as much. High school seniors are about 56% of them will have gone on a date by the time they graduate from high school. Boomers, it was 85% would have been on a date. It's just trending down. Now, the good news of that is that the teen birth rate is going lower because you cannot get pregnant from texting. Amen. You know, it's good news. I just had this thought, dads of teenage daughters, that's fine. They can text all they want. Yeah. All right. See, there's a good side. But there's a bad side to this because their ability to see pornography is increasing exponentially. There's like a digital deviancy that's developing right now. And, and, and so it, it, they're locked away in their room and, and, and they're looking at things they were never meant to see. They're not getting their driver's license. One in four high school seniors will graduate without having their driver's license. I'm going to tell you this. The day I turned 16, I had my test scheduled. 
I had a backup test scheduled for the next day in case I failed, you know? I mean, when I got my license, which was on my birthday, my mom and dad gave me one tank of gas. That was my birthday gift. They said, from here on in, you pay for it. Okay, and these kids are like, oh, do I have to get my driver's license? They said, parents are nagging their kids so they'll get their driver's license. It's just a, a different world. Less teens are working. They're more depressed. And there's a, a survey that's been going on since 1975. It calls, it's, a, it's called Monitoring the Future Survey. And they said, it's clear more screen time equals less happiness. They're less happy. The homicides are down, suicides are up. Used to be that homicides were greater in teenagers and suicides, they've just done this. They've just passed each other. They're, they're dealing with more suicide. Matter of fact, I was talking to a nurse earlier and she said 25% of our ER right now is dealing with suicide. It's startling. We're, we're so digitally connected, but we're so far from one another. And, and on top of this, there's the psychological drain. I mean, where it's like, I, I'm wondering if I'm good enough and why didn't they respond? And you, you text someone and then you see the little dots show up. How many know what I'm talking about? You text them and then you see the dots that they're thinking about responding, but then nothing comes through and it dies away. And you're like, what happened? Am I not important? Do they not want to talk to me? Is my text bad? What, and did you get the last text? You know, I mean, there's all these things, this fear of missing out, FOMO. I mean, they're all just worried, like, what is going on? How many likes do I get? If I post that, do I get enough likes? And there's a lot more pressure on young ladies. How can I get more likes? Can I be more risque to get more likes? All this trying to, this pressure that's there. It's the last thing people check at night. It's the first thing they check in the morning. And I'm not just talking about the younger generation. I'm 51. I'm doing the same thing. I, I'm trying to figure out in this sermon, in this pastoring moment for myself, if you will, what safeguard am I going to put in place so that the last thing I see when I go to bed is not Instagram. And the first thing when I wake up in the morning is not Instagram followed by Twitter. What am I going to do so that I can feed myself something different and not get sucked into this world? The charts are starting. I just want you to see these because it'll drive it home. Not hanging out with friends. I want you to see there where the iPhone was invented, right where that line is. Look at that steep decline. The smartphone. People are not, these young generations, they're not hanging out. More likely to feel lonely. Take a look at this. Watch this go the other way. They're more likely to feel lonely right there with the invention of the iPhone, the smartphone. It, it's not working. We're actually going against what we're made for, what we're created for. I couldn't check in on my grandma and grandpa and say, you doing good tonight? See you tomorrow. I had to go to their house and see them and, and, and let them feed me and give me more dessert and all sorts of things. But, and watch the twins game with them and do those things. But we're so disconnected. Studies have shown that there's something you can do to change this and it's being a part of a community, joining something you could join a sports team. You could join a church, which you're doing a great thing by being a part of church and not just going online. Please, if you're using online as your only church, unless you're shut in, unless it's not possible for you to get to church, make your way to church. Get there with other people. Use online as a supplement. They say for teenagers, the number one thing that parents can do is get them out of the house, get them to do something. Can I just say this? Parents, save your children and bring them to youth group. Get them to the youth group. Get them to the Wednesday. Get them to youth group. 20 plus, save yourselves and get to 20 plus and get there. 
Save yourselves, you know? Don't look down. All right. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, give yourself extra time at church. Time for the donuts. Time for the coffee. Time to talk with one another. Build some margin in your life to be able to pray with prayer teams when the Holy Spirit moves on you and you have that margin there. Talk to one another. Get to know a couple of other people. Look for people around the perimeter of the lobby. Can I say that? All the visitors stand on the perimeter. I don't know why, but they walk in and they stand at the perimeter and they just watch us, all right? So if you see someone on the perimeter, go up and greet them, talk with them, put your phone down. Let's, let's spend time with one another. There's a, there's a toxicity to this social media that you need to find cleansing from. And there's a, a, a comparison that's happening and there's a dying by comparison because what we're doing with all the social media, all the digital media is we're starting to become deep lovers of ourself. Really, we are. We're becoming deep lovers of ourself. And in 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, but I, 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 there's no way he was thinking of smartphones in a digital world, but it fits so well. 2 Timothy 3, it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. But what if we are becoming these people? What if we are lovers of self? I mean, well, the first time I ever read that when I was a young boy, I kept thinking, how could we be more lovers of ourselves? I'll tell you how. We could have Facebook pages and Twitter and, and, and Instagram, and we could count how many likes and we could see how many followers. It kind of freaked me out the first time somebody came up to me and they said, I follow you. And I was like, you follow me as I follow Christ? You know, little 1 Corinthians 11. They're like, no, I follow you on Instagram. Okay, all right. We're lovers of ourselves. We have fan pages. Somebody came up to me, I'm on your fan page. I didn't know I had a fan page. I don't, I don't, that's, that's weird. But we become lovers of ourselves. the best angle, the best light, this, that, the other thing. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Let me just take the first four things. I won't go through the whole list, but he said lovers of self right there. Lovers of money. We become lovers of money so much and we show how much money and we have the rich kids of Instagram and this and that and the other thing. We, we keep score with other people. I believe tithing kills that love of money. You say, well, why should I tithe? Because we're becoming lovers of money. That's another good byproduct, which you should do it because you honor God with the first fruits, but it kills being lovers of money. Let me read a Dick Foth quote for you. He'll be with us next week, but it says, he said this, apart from the great ideas that move us, life revolves around two things, relationships and money. And only one of these things really makes us rich. It's relationships. It's people. Let's, let's part with a little money and help save some people that have had a disaster in their life. Let's be able to say we're not lovers of money. Another thing though that fits with this, it says boastful, that we'll be boastful. And the word that was used there as a form of alazon is the name of the word. It, it carries with it a pretending to be richer than we are, to be braver than we really are, to make promises we won't fulfill only for gain. Does that not sound like social media? I'm trying to look richer than I am, braver than I am, because I edited out the safety net. 
and I'm trying to make promises that I never will complete, but I'm just trying to do it so that I gain things in the world of social media. Pray for Florida. Did you really? Give to Harvey. Did you really? Or did you just boast, like Paul said? Did you use another platform to take it, and did you just put it out there? I would call that a boast post. It's just a boast post. I boast and I post, but I don't do anything. We become digital hypocrites. God help us. One more that he says, he said they're proud. And that's not just, I was there, I have this. That could be posting things that you're showing how good you are compared to other people. You just feel like you've done so much good. And the sneaky thing about pride, we can tell when someone's boasting, but pride can be there even when you're saying, look at us helping the poor, the hurting, and the suffering. And you can have a sense of pride that's there that's very ugly, that's very anti-Christ. It's opposite of what he wants us to be. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to change this? One of the things that God has put in this earth for us to help change us is to have friends, real friends that will speak the truth to us, real friends that we'll do life with. And as our church grows bigger, I can tell you as strong as I can, we need more life groups. We need more life groups to start. We need more people to have life groups and to say, we'll, we'll facilitate friendship. We, we want to come together and be inspired on the weekends. We want to have that corporate worship. We want to have that contact with many people. We want to go and to serve and to do those things and to provide an on-ramp for people to find faith in Jesus. But we also need the life groups where we can have those friends like Proverbs talks about. Proverbs 27, better is the open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. It says in Proverbs 27, 9 and 10, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from the heartfelt advice. I love Proverbs 27, 17, which I read earlier. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. True friends are telling you the truth. They're, they're helping you. They're forming you. They're shaping you into the person. And I know we all know that one, you know, as iron sharpens iron. Be the iron that sharpens. But let me grab the other one. It says ointment and perfume. Ointment and perfume. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to give you a, a, just an object lesson for you to remember. Whenever you have dry skin, whenever you get up, you get a little lotion, you're going to rub it on, you're going to do that. I want you to say, I need more friends so I don't get flaky. <laughs> All right? So when you put a little ointment on, I need more friends so I don't get flaky. All right? And then when you spray a little cologne on, I got some cologne here, you say, you know what? Whenever you put your cologne or your perfume, you say, I need more friends so I smell better. So when you put your cologne on or your perfume, when you put your lotion on, you just remember those friends are there. They're going to add pleasantness to you. They're there to help you. They're to help you in those times when you're down, like Ecclesiastes says. They're there for us to get through life. We were meant to be in this together over and over and over again. We're made to be known, to know one another. We are body, soul, spirit. We're here in this together. We need to be physically in the presence of one another. The Bible talks about laying hands on one another. Greet each other with a holy kiss. We won't bring that one back. All right, but we get the point. There's an affection that's there. All right? So we have a mechanism here, and I'm going to take the last few minutes just to talk about it. Life groups. Life groups. It's so much better than being digital. We have to have this. It's for all ages. And one of the things that we noticed is there was no clear starting point. You could start a life group at any time. We've done this now. We said there's three clear starting points for life groups. 
There's three clear starting points, and one of them is happening right now. Between September 10th and September 17th, life groups are starting, and we want you to be in one. We want you to be there, to be perfume, to, to not be dry, to not be flaky, to have those people that will speak the truth to you, that will help you, that will lift you up when you're down. We have different core groups. You say, well, what should I be a part of? We have core groups like Alpha and Freedom Ministry and Financial Peace and The God I Never Knew. We have community groups where as small as six people and, and they could be super groups like Sisterhood where you have hundreds, but you sit at the same table with one another and you go to the same table for that eight to 10 weeks. So you're in a large group for teaching, but you're in a small group setting at the table. It functions as a life group. So whether it's at Starbucks or in a home or, or at the church, and we would love for the life groups to be everywhere. We want you to be in one of these things. And you can visit the church website and go to rivervalley.org forward slash life groups, and you could search almost 500 choices. Almost 500 choices. You could search by day, location, interest. I mean, you can do a life group pretty much from knitting to learning Greek, okay, and everything in between. This is something that we are asking our church to do so we can be known. And as part of this series, there's actually a known quiz on the website as well. You can go to rivervalley.org forward slash known, and you could actually take a quiz. You're like, what life group would I like? What one should I sign up for? And it's not going to send you all to my life group, all right? It's going to be real. It's going to be a test that will help push you to those places. I want to say thank you to the 800 life group leaders last year. You led a life group. You took the time to prepare, open your home. We need more people to join them and to say, I'm here to help this church shape each other, form each other, be there for each other when we're down, lift each other up, uh, take care of those rough edges and to move forward with each other. I just believe that God wants to do something. This is so timely in our church. This is so timely in our culture. This is so, we could lose a generation. They are, they're dying. It's suicide. They're dying. We've got to do, we've got to wake them up and there's got to be something that we step in. It's almost an intervention moment. And I'm not kidding I, I need to do something in my own life. I've got to put safeguards in there so that I'm not losing my family and losing my friendships by always looking down when I need to be looking up, when I need to be holding, when I need to be praying for, when I need to be caring. And I'm praying that our church will grab hold of this. I want you to join a life group. I want you to be here next week to hear Dick Foth. I mean, this man is a, a man of wisdom. He's going to help us to learn how to tell our story, to affirm one another. I want you to join a life group and I want you to find deeper friendship in a shallow world. So I'm praying, Lord, right now that you'd help us to do that. I'm praying that we'd use these amazing tools that are there. We would not be sucked into the things of this world. We would not let the digital world pull us down. We'd use it for the good that it is and we'd get back to being friends. We'd get back to doing life together. We'd be known. We'd know you. We'd know one another and we'd be known. Help us to develop those friendships in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.